Welcome to the Communication 24-7 podcast, where we communicate about how we communicate. I'm your host, Jennifer Furlong. So, Kendall. Yes. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. I am so happy to have you on the show. I think we're going to have a fantastic conversation. So, first of all, thank you for your service. Thank you. I I love highlighting veterans on my show as a fellow veteran. It's a nice opportunity to be able to show the world, share with the world that, yes, there are things we are accomplishing out here. And so uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to do that. I think you're really going to enjoy today's conversation. Number one, the reason my interest was piqued in having Kendall on the show is the title of his book, Mm -hmm. Gooder Life in Layman's Terms. And I was like, that's a pretty awesome title. So consider my interest peaked. I want to talk to this guy and kind of pick his brain and see what this is all about. And um, of course, communication and listening skills are at the heart of having a gooder life, right? It's definitely right. a building block of that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and, and how did you get to this point? How did you get to the point of writing the book, The Gooder Life? Yeah, I, I grew up in a small town in Northwest Arkansas. Had an idea that I wanted to, as a small, as a kid, I, I tore electronics apart. I loved to tear things apart. Just figured I would do that in my career. I had no idea there were no careers of tearing electronics apart, but I just thought I wanted to do that. I'm colorblind though, and and that pretty much sealed the deal on on any kind of electronics. That's all color coded. So, mm-hmm. ended up going into the United States Air Force and was a computer operator. And uh, went to school at night, became a computer programmer. And uh, that's really what started my IT career, which I've been in for almost 40 years now. But as I got out of the Air Force, actually, while I was in the Air Force and after getting out of the Air Force and and starting my career, um, I was one of those guys that would, I like to observe people. I would, I would look at people who were my, my mentors, people who were my supervisors, my bosses, my friends. And I, I just kind of recorded mentally and in a journal also things that draw that would draw me to them. You know, I was the guy who would sit in an office and say, man, if I ever get to be a leader, I want to I want to do things like this person mm-hmm. uh, or I don't want to do things like this person. And um, so I just began to kind of collect these items that seem to set people apart and, and make them different. At some point a few years ago, I finally had a head full of information that I just had to get out just simply for my sanity. So I, I said, I'm going to write a book, not knowing any anything about the process. Was able to be introduced to a, um, a lady in tech. She, she led me and uh, gave me great guidance, was able to get a book out. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. You think you've got all of this and you just start to write it. And all of a sudden it's like, that's, that's it. That's all there is. I only wrote one paragraph. Right. (laughs) So, so you've really got to dig in there and and really think about all of the stuff you've learned over those years and, and put some substance around them. I tell a lot of people, I know that I I'm a new writer 
and and writing just like any other skill has to be developed and i think you develop that by reading by talking on podcasts like this by learning different things and today if i were to write the book again it would probably look different it would be the same content but i would have developed it differently or something but what i do tell people is that the the content of the book is not anything new mm-hmm. it's very simple steps to living a different type of life but it's it's real mm-hmm. and it's solid whether I present it to you that way or not, it is real and solid. And if you follow the steps I say in the book, if you incorporate those things into your life, I truly believe it'll set your life apart and you, you'll you be a different person because of it. And so um, that's where I got today. That's awesome. There, There's something you said I wanted to just kind of dive into a little bit. You talked about how going through this process of writing this book and and picking things apart and learning how to express yourself in the storytelling you're having to learn this skill that you're you're de- developing this newfound skill and you said it was very therapeutic i think that's something really important to underscore as a part of something you stand to gain in written communication Absolutely. i don't think enough people really give it the opportunity to just sit down and get your thoughts down on paper, get your feelings down on paper. Like you said, it, it does kind of help with the sanity bit. Um, I've experienced the same thing. Can you say a little bit more about that, about, about the process itself? And what was it about this process that helped you feel like you were gaining just maybe a, a, a stronger footing? You know, I've always been a journaler. Maybe it's just writing down the things I do at work each day, you know, just keeping track of what I do so I won't forget those. But I've always been a person that when something comes into my head, I'll just grab a notebook and just write about it. Maybe it's a paragraph, maybe it's a page. But but like you said, I, it helps me to get that out, number one, and then to be able to reread back through that and and confirm what I was thinking. And, and maybe even while I'm writing, I, I come up with a different thought. You know, I think that's kind of what we are as human beings. We we need to get things out. You you've you've always seen people who who and we've said about them they they bottle things up inside of them. At some point, you're going to explode, mm-hmm. and and you've got to get that stuff out. For me, it is therapeutic to get that out and to be able to write about it. Um, I talk about one of the things in the book, uh, essential attitudes, I call them three essential attitudes, and it's kind of the foundation, but one of those is being thankful. Being thankful for me is, uh, it's a perspective exercise. Each each morning, I try to take some time to think about things I'm thankful for. Uh, but to go back to your question, um, there was one time in my life a few years ago where I was just kind of down, and I'm not really a down person. I began to get up each day and I would write down three or four or five things in a journal that I was thankful for. And it began to make a difference in my life. And I thought, why, why is that making a difference? And what I realized was when, when we're kind of in a down state or, or things are kind of catastrophic around us or, or they're, they're just swirling and, and it's, it's pulling our attention in all different directions, we're very focused on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And what I learned was when I would stop, be quiet, write down things I was thankful for. For that brief moment, my eyes would turn away from myself and out to the things I was thankful for. What I learned was that the things around me didn't necessarily change, but my view of those things around me began to change. 
And I began to approach those things differently simply because of having a thankful attitude and writing down what I was thankful for. And so I'm very much a believer in that writing process. And, and to get all of this book out on paper, it, it was a great accomplishment for me because it was like, I did it. But, but much more than that was just getting it out. And if I can help someone who maybe reads the book, if, if I can help them learn one thing, then it was worth writing the book. And that was something my publisher really, really talked to me about was, Kendall, if you could affect one person in this world by writing this book, would you write it? Well, I think, of course, we would all say yes. And I said yes. And so that's really been my goal through the whole writing process was, can I share something? I want to share a quote with you. I read this this last week. So this is brand new. This is on your podcast only. Nobody else has heard this. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to read it right now. And Exclusive. It's <laughs> your journey is not the same as mine. And my journey is not yours. But if we meet on a certain path, may we encourage each other. And so that was kind of my, my process in this. I've had a, I've got a story in my life and I wanted to share that story, but my story is not your story and your story is not mine. But there may be some similarities of things that we've gone through where when we do meet, I can't tell you how to handle your problems or, or happiness. And you can't tell me, but we can share those things that we've gone through and maybe encourage each other. And that was my purpose in writing this book and just getting it out on paper was hopefully to encourage other people. Oh, I love that because there is not one of us who has not experienced some type of hardship. Sure. You know, uh, so many have gone through whatever type of trauma, you know, and, and it can be very difficult. Just life is not easy. No, <laughs> There's always no. something waiting right around the corner, you know, just when you think you have things handled. Uh, it's just going to completely just knock you down. And so to be able to have something to go to, to look forward to, um, you know, a sense of, of support or a, a sense of hope, you know, something to look forward to the future. That's so incredibly important. And, I, I, you know, I'm so happy that you got this book out because for you, what a fantastic process to be able to go through. You know, I understand exactly how you feel when it's like, oh, yeah. wow, look at that. <laughs> okay, let me sit back and kind of pat myself on the back for a little bit. But then you're like, okay, now what can I do with this? The book is written. Right. You know, now how do I get this out to where people can actually read it so I can impact others, you know, Correct. So, so they can benefit from this? Absolutely. Take me through some of the major ideas. What are some of the building blocks that you have within this book that we could take away? You know, that, you know, earlier I had mentioned we like to talk about communication skills and we've already touched on one of those, how written communication can right. absolutely be therapeutic. Right. Um, but take me through some of the other things that you may have touched on in connection to communication skills in your book. So, so let me tell you real quickly, these essential attitudes and principles I talked about, and then we'll highlight one of those because of your, your podcast. So my essential attitudes are just being thankful, being humble and being respectful. Mm -hmm. Um, and those three items, which I call the foundation, are going to tie into the one item that it's a principle that really 
talks to your podcast. Um, my building blocks are having a purpose, being a listener, being a thinker, just being aware, emotional intelligence, being aware of your surroundings, being aware of other things around you, uh, making good choices, and then being a finisher of things that you start. So, so let's talk about the listening part, which is one of the six building block principles I talk about in the book. I, I read something one time, I think it was called The Lost Art of Listening was the book that I read. And essentially the, the main, main theme of this book is that when you are listening, it's not about you. It's about the other person. That's right. Um, I remember one day, uh, uh, a person I worked with was going through kind of a hard time here at work. And, and I've been one, on the leadership team for a while and, and have been a mentor to many people in our company. And, and uh, they called me. And uh, I realized at the beginning of this conversation that uh, they just needed to get stuff out. Uh, it was emotional. It was, uh, it was a time just to, to be mad, to be angry, to be upset. And I caught myself at one point in that conversation of saying, yes, I remember one time when I, and I stopped. And I thought, you know what? Yes, I do have a story that would, um, maybe give them some insight into what they're going through. But right now, this is not about me telling a story. This is about me listening to them and just allowing them to get this out. And uh, that was a great lesson for me. Even And, I, and I'd already written about this. Yeah. Um, was that before or after you had read that, uh, the book about it was listening? After. It was after yeah. I'd read the book. And it made me think about that. You know, it, a great a great testament to um, what we learn when we read books. I don't I don't remember a whole lot about that book, but I do remember that. And that was that was a central theme that helped me with this person. And it's helped me many times after that, too. You know, you, you mentioned about going through times in our lives. And that's one of the things in the book I talk about, about life changing moments, those things we go through that make us go to bed at night and see the world differently than we did that morning. Because something has truly changed us. That could be good. That could be bad. But when we do that, we learn things of how we talked earlier about maybe giving people advice. And what, what I learned through my life-changing moment is that I don't have all of the answers. And what I learned going through my time of life-changing was that I really enjoyed when people just came and sat with me and just allowed me to maybe be, be quiet, maybe to talk. We live in a world where we talk about awkward silence. I kind of like awkward silence myself because sometimes I love silence. Yes. <laughs> you know, if you were going through a hard time, Jen, and, and I, I was one of your close friends and I came to you, maybe you need me just to sit there with you. That's right. And let's mm -hmm. be quiet. Mm -hmm. You know, that's really listening. Yeah. There's just no verbal listening going on. Mm -hmm. But we're both just kind of listening. We're listening by, I'm watching your actions. I'm watching your movements. Um, maybe I'm watching you cry. Maybe I'm watching you laugh. But I'm observing and I'm recording that. And, and in a sense, that's kind of listening. And, um, and so that's what I talk about in the book. That's why it's so important is how many times have we seen these people in our lives where you're talking to them and they're looking at you? And then when you finish talking, they say, now, what about so-and-so? And you think, I, 
I just told you that. <laughs> right? right? And I've had that happen so many times. And you think, what's the point of even talking? Because they're thinking about everything else. <laughs> and, and then those times where you're talking to someone and you know they're simply waiting for you to stop so they can talk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all they're doing here. You know, those that, that's not the person I want to be. I, I want to be the person that's that's willing to listen to what you say, contemplate what you said. And and then if there's a response needed, give you that response, or maybe there's not a response needed. That's right. So that's the listening I talk about in the book. Research shows that baby boomers are struggling to find a trusted source offering the latest and most reliable information on their interests and needs. Babyboomer.org is an online membership community created by and for the baby boomer generation to be the ultimate source for news, information, and community. Babyboomer.org's mission is to bring baby boomers together to improve their quality of life, to help them pay it forward, and to help younger generations, and to change the baby boomer perception from okay boomer to thanks boomer. Access online courses and resources, discover news, and become a part of a community by clicking on the link in the show notes. Yeah, you have touched on several important aspects of listening, and and one of them I want to dive into for the listeners here. Those of you who are listening and paying attention (laughs) and just not like passively getting the information, uh, you, you touched on a skill called empathic listening and my longtime listeners have heard this story a million times. So guess what? You're just going to have to hear it just one more time. Y'all. So that is perfect. I'm ready to hear it. I am not naturally an empathic listener. It's just my personality. I very much am a problem solver. And so my go-to instinct is when somebody comes to me and they start complaining about something or what I would consider to be whining about something, (laughs) you know, they're, they're going through something. I have had to learn over time to keep my mouth shut. Kind of like what you what you were talking about after reading that book. So you, you have to just sit there. And even though at the moment, I may not necessarily be able to relate to whatever it is they're going through right in that moment, but that doesn't even matter. If right. I can't relate to it, it does not even matter. So learning that skill of staying silent, let them vent, let them get off of their chest, whatever they need to get off of their chest, and then wait. because. Yeah. If they want you to help them solve the problem, or if they're even interested in your opinion about the problem, they will ask you. So don't offer it before they ask. You know, yeah. So it it can it seems like I have really good empathy and you know those empathic listening (laughs) skills, but I've just learned how to trick everybody. So (laughs) (laughs) it's a skill you can learn, y'all. It is. No, you're exactly right. And I don't have all of the answers a lot of time when I'm talking right. with people. Yeah. But they didn't ask me to have all of the answers. Yeah. They asked me to be there because I'm a friend and they trust me. You know, that that's a key thing too. what I just said yeah. right there. In order for somebody to share with you those, those deep feelings a lot of times, they have to trust you. That's right. And that trust is built through a relationship. It, it takes time to build that trust it takes a very short time to break that trust. Mm-hmm. And um, and maybe uh, 
breaking that trust would be that they're not listening to me. They don't want to hear what I've got to say. Um, But, but trust is a big thing. You know, I told you all ago about the three essential attitudes of thankful, humble, respectful, and those three go into the listening also, because I have to be respectful enough of you Mm -hmm. to allow you to talk. And you may actually say some things that I don't agree with. Mm -hmm. I wish you wouldn't say them, but that's not the point right then. I I respect you enough to allow you to have your time. Mm -hmm. Um, Humbleness. We have to be humble enough to understand that we don't have all of the answers, that I'm not here to fix all of the problems. I'm here just to be your friend. You know, this, this goes into the workplace also. There's lots of times where I'm in meetings and, and, uh, you need to just listen and learn. I don't, I don't have all of the answers. I don't know everything about what we're doing, yet I've got good people around me who do. And I need to be humble enough to know that, yes, I'm the leader, but I don't have to have all the answers in the room. We've all heard that say you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. A lot of people, unfortunately, feel like they do need to be. I'm the leader. I need to be the smartest. No, you don't. In fact, you'll probably win people over more by by just being humble enough to say that I don't have all the answers. Okay. I need you to tell me what what's going on here. Yeah. And so all of it, all of the stuff in the book kind of ties together and 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 can be used as a communication book. Mm-hmm. It absolutely could. You know, another thing that you had mentioned earlier that made me think of a, a concept in communication. Um, you know, we talk about there's a difference between the content content level meaning of a communication act versus a relationship level meaning of a communication act. And so when you were talking about silence yes, and just being there and there does not have to be anything said, but the fact of just being there in that moment, you know, and this plays into the building, the trust that you were talking about, you know, if, if we say something that, or we don't say something, the content level meaning is, you know, exactly what it is we said, you know, if, if I tell you, I care about you, you're getting that message, right? But the relationship level meaning is what really comes through in those moments. So you don't even really have to say, I care about you, but by sitting there and maybe holding their hand mm-hmm. or putting your hand on their shoulder, or maybe you don't even have to touch them in that moment. You just sit there very quietly while they cry, while they, oh. get, while they get it out. That relationship level meaning that's coming through by doing that action is saying, I care about you. And that will that will solidify their trust in you a thousand times more than it, than you could say I, I care about you a hundred times, but that sure. one act is what really will get them to understand that you truly do care about them. So I, I appreciate that you brought up the uh, the example of silence because you're right. I don't yeah. I don't think enough of us really appreciate what silence can do in a relationship. Absolutely. And, you know, you talked about empathy earlier mm-hmm. uh, and, and, in, and right there you talked about, you know, maybe somebody crying, the silence can make us uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Emotion can make us uncomfortable also. Oh yeah. Um, but if, if we're there truly because we care about that person, mm-hmm. we'll be okay with that. Right. We'll be okay to let them cry. We'll be okay to, to, to let them laugh at times where we think, why are you laughing? We'll be okay for the silence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that our lives are built on relationships. We need human to human interaction. 
We need to talk with people. I don't feel like we can be our best selves if we are in a cocoon and just don't don't interact with anybody. Mm-hmm. And so building those relationships in life um, are extremely important, especially when you have those times where you need those people that you trust around you. You're thankful to have them and you're thankful that you had those relationships built. That's right. Building that trust is really the foundation you need in order to have the more difficult conversations as well. Because I I noticed earlier, you know, you had mentioned if someone is having a hard time and, you know, they're just kind of maybe unloading on you and they may say something you don't agree with. They may say something that is maybe a little harsh because in that moment, they're just so emotional and that's what's driving whatever it is that they're talking about. And that brings up a, a, a point that sometimes it's not the time and place to bring up something that mm-hmm. you, you know you probably should bring it up at some point, especially if they said something um, really upsetting or they said something that was untrue, you know, uh, said something that maybe was cruel in the moment you know, because of the emotions, but there is a time and place. And if you have been able to um, create a strong foundation of trust, then later on, when the emotions have subsided and we were thinking with our logical brain again, <laughs> then that could be a good opportunity to to say, hey, you know, um, do you have a moment? I just want to talk about, you know, something that, that you had mentioned earlier. And um yeah, that that opens up that opportunity to have that conversation. So I think you are so correct in that, you know, sometimes it's not the time and place. You you have to be able to wait for the appropriate moment to bring up some things, especially if there are emotions of, involved. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. In an emotional moment, mm-hmm. there may even be times where you're just that innocent listener, you're there to help them, but all of a sudden some of the direction of the anger may come right at you. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't understand. You've never had to do this. You've never done this. And I, I think that's that time where you have to understand this is not personal for me uh, about me. They're just struggling right now. You got to be able to take that. You, but you, you mentioned about saying things sometimes when it's not the right place, mm-hmm. it's not the time. And, and I talk about that exactly under awareness mm-hmm. in my book. Yeah. You know, there, there is a, how many times have have we been in a conversation or been in a room with people and somebody says something and everybody kind of cringes and you think, oh, that is not the right thing to say right now. Oh, yeah. You know, a board a boardroom, anything. It's not the time to say that. That that's just that part of of understanding what's going on around us, mm-hmm. understanding the emotions around us reading the people around us, reading the room around us, and just being aware to know what's right and what's wrong right now. And so I talk about that that exactly, that exact thing that, that you mentioned, but you're exactly right on, on the emotions. Um, uh, emotions are hard. <laughs> yeah, and they so, are. Sometimes you got to just let them get out. Yeah. And, and then we can, uh, we can maybe have a little bit more of a logical discussion after that. Yeah, you're right. And you had mentioned, you know, uh, somebody may tell you, you don't understand, you've never been through this. And 
really the response is you're right. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> you're right. I don't, yes. I can't understand. I mean, I, you're, you're right. I may have had a, a an experience that might be similar, similar, but I'm not having your experience. Exactly. And, um, this happens a lot. And, uh, you know, I'm a cancer survivor. And this is a conversation that I've had with a lot of other cancer survivors is like when you first get diagnosed and everybody, it seems like everybody has advice for you or they have, you know, like a remedy for you or they tell you, oh, well, at least it's not this kind of cancer as if, you know, like you got the good cancer, right? (laughs) It's it's so, uh, you know, as the person on the receiving end it really serves to diminish what it is that you're going through. And I know people mean well. And so this is just a good learning opportunity for anybody who's listening to our conversation is, you know, when somebody's coming to you and they really are going through it. Sure they are. You know, and it's, it's not for us to determine how bad it is or how good it is for them. Because that oftentimes will just make them feel worse. You know, yeah. you, you think you're trying to say something to make it better, but in actuality, you're making it worse. So that's why you really just have to, if, if they blow up, don't take it personally. Just say, you're right. You're, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Cause I haven't, I haven't been through what you're going through right now. Great point. And, and for your listeners also, um, so when I talked earlier about our, our life-changing moment, mine was my sister passed away. That was really the first person in my life that was very close to me who I had lost. So, so it was new for me to go through this experience. I hadn't done this before. And what I found is that, like you said, many people will come up to you and say, hey, I know what you're going through, right? Probably the same thing happened to you. Hey, I had the same thing happen to me. No, you didn't have the same thing. Mm-hmm. But what I had to learn was what exactly you said. They don't really know what to say. They're trying to say something that will comfort you. That is not a comforting thing to say. And so what I learned through that, and and when I have been with people who have lost a loved one or anything since that point, I'll do exactly what you said a while ago. I'll go up to them and say, I don't know what you're going through, but I want you to know I'm here. Mm -hmm. And if you need me, I can listen. I can help you do something. I can run errands for you. You know, that's what people want. And so for your listeners, if they do go through these types of things with people, just just be sensitive mm-hmm. to the fact that while you have gone through something similar, you don't know their experience. So just be there for them. Mm-hmm. Be there. And there's, you know, that goes a long way. If you don't know what to say, it's okay to say, I don't know what to say. This is horrible. I'm sorry you're going through this. Yes. And that's all you need to say. That's it. That's it. That's it. They just want to know you care. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's that's all that needs to be, be made known in that conversation is I care for you. I had interviewed some time ago, um, a woman who works in HR. And her husband had passed away from cancer. And as an HR director, it helped her realize, you know, we're talking about going through different experiences and your eyes are open to to things that you had never even considered before. 
And so as an HR director, it made her realize, wow, managers really aren't equipped to know what to say or, you know, how to how to react if any of their employees experience a, a big loss, you know, like the one that she had. And so we had a very similar conversation. And one thing that um, she she gave my listeners as a piece of advice, and I thought it was a wonderful piece of advice. She said, you know, um, if somebody is going through something really, really difficult like that, it's not enough to say, hey, uh, just let me know what you need. Sure. Because at that point, they may not even know they what don't. they need, but the more specific you can be, just like you gave a really good example Hey, if you need me to run some errands for you, I can do that. You know, that's very specific. If you need me to wash the pile of dishes right here, I will take care of that for you. Like, so, you know, the more specific you can be, if you really truly want to help that person out, that takes the burden off of them to try to figure out how you can help. So again, let's not make it about us, right? Let's really, really pay attention to uh, something very specific that could actually be helpful. And I thought that was such a fantastic piece of advice for anybody who really wants to, you know, uh, be someone who, uh, someone of service, really. Yeah. If you've read my book, Cracking the Rich Code, you know it is chock full of fantastic advice from top thought leaders and super successful entrepreneurs from around the world. How would you like to be a member of an exclusive community that provides that same how-to content from those same leaders? What if you were able to attend member-only live events and interact with them? I'd like to invite you to join the Rich Code Club. It will change the way you think about yourself, your money, and your life. It's the only social media platform purely focused on helping you grow. Join the Rich Code Club today for free by clicking on the link in the show notes. You know, Jim, we could we could talk all day heading down that path that the HR manager talked about, but it's a great example also. And this is this is a bit different and I'll stray here and come back, but I love to stray. Uh, so that's what all these conversations are, are for. <laughs> How many times in companies and, and places where we've worked are people hired for leadership positions based upon their skills in a job, mm. but not necessarily based upon the people skills, the soft mm. skills. Yeah. And so we put somebody in a position where they're going to fail probably because when you do begin to start getting those leadership positions, you're going to deal with things in people's lives. Everybody has lives outside of this work and those are going to bleed over into this at some point. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe we need to focus a little more on the, on the soft skills yeah. of the people that we put in leadership positions. Well, I am a little biased because my background is in communication. So of yeah. course I'm going to agree with you on that. <laughs> and um, I'm actually on a personal crusade right now yeah. to even change the the language that we use when we yeah. talk about communication skills. Like I, I hear it referred to as soft skills and we've been referring to written communication, oral communication, you know, listening skills as soft skills since, I mean, I can remember, I mean, yeah. it's, you know, uh, every, every business book that you would read will probably mention, you know, soft skills at some point. 
I think we're at a point that it's, we understand that communication skills are so critical, especially for leaders, managers, employees, personal relationships. If you want to become engaged civically and, you know, make a difference in your communities, I think we're beginning to realize finally that these skills, they're not necessarily, they're not really soft, are they? They're I mean, hard. they are critical skills. These are critical skills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I agree with you a hundred percent, but again, I'm biased <laughs> because I'm the one that's preaching it. <laughs> you know, um, I, I heard a man say one time, I'm, I'm going to make this up. Let's say it's an automotive company, but he told me, he said, you know, that the automotive part of the business is 20%. Mm-hmm. The people part of the business is about 80%. Oh yeah. And, uh, and yet we we do everything focused on that 20% a lot of times instead of that 80%. Um, I've learned that in my career. Uh, it's the dealing with the people yeah. that, that usually ends up being the hardest. But I will say it can be the most fulfilling also. Um, and it's the area where we, we end up focusing most of our time a lot, a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. It's uh, usually what happens is in an organization is, congratulations, you are awesome at your job. We're going to give you a promotion. Sure. So you move up and all of a sudden you are responsible for all of these people. You have all of these direct reports now and you have absolutely no idea what in the hell you're supposed to do <laughs> with all of these direct reports, you know. And uh, unfortunately, a, a lot of managers in that respect are set up for failure because they are. they are fantastic at their job, but then they're not given the opportunity to develop those other skills that are so critical in, in being successful. Yes. And many times we put them in that position and then we leave them. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> Figure now, it out. Right. I very much respect the companies that, that put people in a new leadership position and then have a program mm-hmm. to spend time with them, uh, and, and make sure that they go through some certain classes or trainings and, and they, they stay with them for like that first year to make sure everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I don't see that a whole lot. Yeah. And, uh, and yet that's what needs to happen. If you're going to do that, if you're going to put those people there, which people want to move up, I mean, that's their goal a lot of times, but you've got to be there to help nurture them and right. guide them and make sure that they they stay away from some of those potholes and pitfalls that are out there in front of them. Mm-hmm. That's right. So have you thought about, you know, taking your book uh, in, into different organizations and, and using that as a, a tool to, you know, maybe help them develop a program or maybe you come in and just do some skills training? Yes, with leaders I, and, mm-hmm. I very much have. In fact, I've got a friend who's a personal coach. Mm-hmm. And um, that's something I've really learned about through this, through the book process and meeting new people and and being able to to venture into areas I've really never ventured in before. There's this huge area of coaching. Um, I guess I called it mentor in, mm-hmm. in my past. But what I've learned is that I had this friend and he uses my book as kind of a curriculum. And I'm mm-hmm. happy, I'm happy for him to do that because it's very much set. You know, I told you the attitudes and the principles, but it's it's each one of those you can spend time with a person and and help them identify the areas in their lives where maybe they're strong in a certain area or they're weak in another area. The book is set up to to do that very easily. And so 
yeah, I have thought about that. And, and honestly, the part where I feel the most comfortable, the part where I enjoy and I have fun doing is talking with you mm-hmm. and talking with other people. You know, these were my words put into a book, but the words were my story. And, and I've always told my story and I'm most comfortable telling my story. So I guess, I guess maybe one of the things by writing the book was to hope that it unlocked some doors that would allow me to come in and now be able to talk to you. Yeah. And, uh, and whether that's a group of a thousand or a group of two, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. It's just being able to share those lessons I've learned and maybe help you along your way. Yeah, I, I agree. That's one of the most rewarding parts of what I do when I go into organizations. If I can work with a, a small group of people or if it's just one on one to be able to have those conversations and share your stories and then to see the connections being made. That is so incredibly rewarding. And, um, you know, I taught communication at the college level for 18 years. And that was another thing. You made me think of that when you talked about starting out in IT, uh, because at the university I was teaching at most recently, they made it a requirement that all of the IT students, computer sciences students, they have to take public speaking as a course to graduate. And of course, Oh, the hemming and the hawing, right? <laughs> From the students. It's like the lamenting that was happening. But then by the end of the semester, it never failed. Every single time they were like, oh man, we should have taken this a long time ago. And I'm like, yeah, too bad. You're a senior now and you're graduating. You know, imagine how this could have helped you three years ago. <laughs> unfortunately, IT has always kind of got the, uh, they've kind of got the stigma that they're, they're intelligent nerds. They can't they can't that's speak right. any other language but the technology language. I think that's a great idea to have them be able to, because honestly, in a career in IT, you're going to have to you're going to have to talk to users yeah. um, of your systems. You're going to have to talk to the business, and you need to be able to translate those technical ideas mm-hmm. into speech that people understand. So that's a skill that has to be taught for sure. So good for you doing that. Yeah. And, you know, I found that the the IT students, the computer science students that were in my class, oftentimes they were so incredibly creative yeah. with their speeches. So, it, I, you know, it just it gave them an opportunity to do something different. And I think you're right. There is this kind of stigma that's attached to, you know, even just going into STEM, <laughs> in in any of these tech oriented, you know, type of career paths. And for them to be able to have a space where they were given permission to, hey, be as creative as you want. I just want you to, you know, write this out, practice it, and then present it to us. And you pick, you pick the, the topic. And, and it really helped me see how it was a different side. It was a different side to these students that, it was truly, um, it was just the coolest thing to be in the classroom with them. So I, that was really uh, something that I quite enjoyed being with those students. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes they have a very deep insight into a lot of the things that we would discuss in our communication yeah. classes, if given the opportunity to to do that. There's one thing I wanted to ask you before we ran out of time. Could you share with us 
the title of your book. How did you arrive at the gooder life? Yeah. So when I was younger, I went to my uncle's. And the reason we went to my uncle's is because I had a pretty pretty large size family. That's my mom's brother. And and uh, so he had the house the size that would hold us all for the Christmas gatherings and Thanksgiving gatherings, things like that. And he was always a very positive man, still is to this day. And and I walked in one day and he said, how are you doing, Kendall? And I said, I'm OK. And he said, no, there's only two kinds of days, good or gooder. That that was a story I told for many years, just like that. And people would always kind of laugh. And, and I would talk about how he knew it was grammatically incorrect, but he it was a it was a way to get something across. And what I learned over time, especially through the writing of this book, is that while while it's fine to get up each day and make a choice of today's going to be either good or gooder, that's not what he was really telling me. What he was telling me is that living a gooder life is having a mindset that today I'm going to try to be better than I was yesterday. Mm. I'm going to shoot for that gooder. I've learned that through all of this, but you know, people have asked me, so what, what is the gooder life? Um, how, how do you live the gooder life? What does that even mean? And there are times in people's lives where they don't have the energy. They don't really have the want to a lot of times mm-hmm. to want to choose good or gooder on a day. There's something that's happened that has just made them struggle to even get through a day. You know, sometimes being gooder is just surviving the day and and just just trying to make it through. And I understand that. And, and that's why I talk about those life changing moments. There are those times in life where it's just not not feasible to, to ask someone to do that. But the gooder life, I, I was reading a uh, quote one time by a man named Rollo May, and he said the opposite of courage is not cowardice, it is conformity. It's a good quote. Basically doing what I've always done because that's just what I've always done and not really knowing why I even do it. And so I, I looked at that one time and I was thinking about that in, in light of the gooder life. And I thought, you know, to live the gooder life, it takes courage. It takes courage to get up today and say, all right, I'm not going to do what I've always done. I'm not going to do what everybody else is doing. I'm going to do what I know I need to do to be better today than I was yesterday. Mm-hmm. That takes a lot of courage. It takes effort. It's easy to just do whatever and, mm-hmm. and not really know why. But to live intentionally and to think about every action that you do, think about everything you say, think about listening, think about being aware. It's, it takes effort to do that every day on everything that you do. But what I said about it was, if you can do those two things and you can incorporate these things in the book that I talk about, the gooder life is a life of freedom that you will never experience maybe ever again, because for the first time, you have control of what you're doing. You're not letting all of the ebbs and flows of the world dictate what you do, how you think, what your emotions are. You're, you're taking control of that. Um, there was a man named Hal Elrod, I believe was his name, and, and he had a quote one time, and it said, the moment you accept responsibility for everything in your life is the moment you gain the power to change anything in your life. And so that's really what the gooder life is, is just stepping out, committing to being different, not being different just to be different, but being different because that's what's going to make me better than I was yesterday. And understanding that I don't have to be pushed around by the winds of life 
I can make those decisions myself and choose whether I'm going to allow that thing that's swirling around me to make me be negative today, or I'm going to choose to be positive. And um, if we can do it now, understand, I'm saying if, because I don't have this mastered. This is hard. (laughs) It is hard. hard. And, And there are going to be those times where you fail and you're going to backslide and you're not going to make the right choice. And you are going to allow the winds of life to shift you around. But at least if we're just aware of what I I need to do, I don't want to do that. I don't want to allow that to do that to me. Just to have that thought is the right thought to have Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and to pull ourselves out of that. And so that's what the gooder life is. And that's where it started from my uncle one day in a farmhouse in Arkansas, just telling me, make a choice to be good or gooder. I love it. And you're so right. You know what? We have to forgive ourselves being human. We're going to have those moments. I have learned that, you know, I will give myself permission to have my temper tantrum for about 20 minutes, (laughs) get it out of my system. And then at the end of the 20 minutes, it's like, okay, Jen, get it together. What is your next move? You know, so we really do have to allow ourselves that moment. Sure. Things are going to hit the fan. (laughs) It just happens. But I I really appreciate you um, underscoring the importance of intentionality. Yeah. And and it is a choice every single day. And sometimes it's a it's a difficult choice to get out of the bed some days. Sure. But you're right. You know, so you just you you take it for what it is. Forgive yourself if you have a bad day. And then how am I going to be better tomorrow? I think that's a fantastic way to move about life. Yeah, um, I do my best. I'm, I, I'm not perfect, but I that's try. Right. None of us are. <laughs> I, I say I'm an evangelist for the gooder life. Yeah. So I'm hoping I'm just inspiring enough people to say, hey, maybe, maybe I can get up tomorrow and try to be better than I was today. Mm-hmm. If I can do that for one person then then this was all worth it. I think that is the perfect way to end this show. I, I don't have anything else to add to that because that was so well said. Yes. <laughs> Except for I agree. <laughs> well, Kendall, it has been such a pleasure having this conversation with you. Thank you so much for wanting to be on the show and for sharing with us the book that you've written, some of your life stories. Um, it's been a real pleasure. I've truly enjoyed Thank this you. conversation. I have too. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate awesome. it. How can we get in touch with you? Well, of course, on Facebook, I, I've, I've got an author's page out there. LinkedIn, I've got a page. But also, you can go to thegooderlifegroup.com. And uh, there's a contact form on there. If you want to talk, we'll talk. And uh, I'll listen. And we'll see see where that takes us. If you want me to come speak to a group, you can do it. You can contact me through there. Um, I've tried to make it easy because I want people to be able to get me and I want to be able to talk and, and just express these ideas. I think it's good for our world today. Hope that more people can incorporate it in their lives. That's right. All right. I'll make sure that that link is in the show notes. So check it out, everybody. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I know I did. Once again, I want to thank you for being a guest on the show and everybody who's listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. All right. Y'all take care now. Bye. Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review.